two, three, break. Down the middle of the field, it is caught. Loose football. Who's got it? Down at the one-yard line. How about that? That is the ultimate kibosh. (laughs) (laughs) And we are underway. Welcome, everybody, to the Action Network NFL Podcast. Please, if you haven't already, subscribe. Consider leaving us a five-star review if you're feeling generous. And please download the Action Network app, as always. It is Sunday night, and we're here to talk about what just went down in NFL Week 10 action. And, of course, look ahead to Monday and Thursday night football. I'm Ian Hardage, director of the Fantasy Labs NFL product and Action Network analyst. Here along with me, as always, Chris Raymond, co-host of I'll Take That Bet on ESPN+. Plus senior editor and NFL analyst at Action Network and Fantasy Labs. Chris, what's going on, man? What is up, Ian? Every time you say uh, NFL product, it, it just reminds me of the, that movie American Gangster with the, Ooh, you know, with the, with the blue, yeah, with the blue Pepsi and the and the product. I don't know. You just it's something about the way you say product. <laughs> like like it's more it's more than NFL. You're peddling over here. It's all about the product, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, you know, I keep my front up, but there's some other stuff going on behind the scenes nah. that I know about. You gotta, oh, man. Uh, what's the main takeaway from that movie? You can't, uh, you can't show off your riches too much. You gotta have a little mystery, a little mystery to the name. So yeah, and, and you gotta, you gotta blot it because it's it's alpaca, so you, you gotta blot it, blot that. But um, yeah, block it, block it. All <laughs> right, fair enough. We'll get things started with uh, some of our best and worst core plays of the week. Some players pay, and some players slay. Who were the bankroll builders and bankroll killers from Week 10? All right, Chris, how about you uh, start things off here? What was your best uh, core play of Week 10? Well, core play was definitely uh, David Johnson. He actually was fairly low-owned in the Millie. I think he was at like 10%, which was kind of surprising. I thought he was in the... A pretty big smash spot. Um, so I for a core play, definitely D- DJ. Byron Leffler is just getting DJ fans mm-hmm. uh, on his back. Yeah, I'm a, I had a running back too. I was lucky enough to have uh, Aaron Jones as my highest exposed running back. Just uh, looking at this, we'll get a little more in the workload later. But uh, we really have seen that backfield shift from a Williams-Jones committee to more or less just Jones here at, since their week seven bye. Obviously, Ty Montgomery being gone helps. Nice little correlation with the uh, Green Bay defense and a cushy matchup against Brock freaking Osweiler. So we'll always take that. Uh, my worst play of the week. So if you guys have listened to a few of these podcasts, you'll probably know by now I'm, I have a huge weak spot for these athletically gifted guys that don't necessarily have huge target shares. This week, that was Chris Conley, uh, Chiefs normally number three receiver, was elevated number two at Sammy Watkins uh, out this week. Man, Conley's from Georgia, a really talented guy. Doesn't get a whole lot of opportunities, though. And, I mean, even with Watkins out, he was our number four pass game target. Not a terrible punt, punt play, at, you know, only 3,200 on DraftKings, but not a guy you want to have in too many of your lineups, unfortunately. <laughs> that was the case. So, uh, Chris, who do you miss on today? Wait, we got to talk about Chris Conley some more. Not because not he played him, but just yeah. it's kind of hilarious, just like the whole essence of Chris Conley because this offense, this Kansas City Chiefs offense is like the – most high profile offense that we've seen in a while now. It's like Patrick Mahomes is, you know, taking the everybody by storm and Tyree Kill's going nuts. And yet, like no one ever talks about this guy, Chris Conley, who is on the field for, you know, like at least two thirds, three fourths of the snaps. Like he's just there. And just, just he's like the guy in, in basketball who's just like 
no zero usage rate, just all, you know, all, um, you know, hustle plays and nothing, nothing that shows up on the stat sheet. Yeah. But if the guy in basketball <laughs> was like dunking and playing like, them rap, man, I mean, it's not like this is Adam Humphrey. I mean, I on Adam Humphreys, but I mean, this guy's a legit athlete. He was sick in Georgia. I don't get it. Like Stromile Swift of the NFL or something like that. I don't <laughs> but yeah, no, um, I just think it's funny that like just, there's this guy on this offense that like, you know, he's just like an afterthought even though he plays the full complement of snaps. But um, speaking of afterthoughts, my worst play who is Terrell Pryor. I, I thought that uh, – I thought it was – he was an interesting play just because he kind of joined the Bills and immediately was thrust into a 80-plus percent snap rate in his first week. His uh, his yards per route run were up this year. He was, he was doing really well in that metric. And we kind of know what talent – what kind of talent he has on a – when he's on a bad team, like a couple of years ago on the Browns, he joined the Browns and immediately was just kind of, you know, all the targets going to prior. He's playing some quarterback. He's getting some rushing attempts. So I thought with the Bills kind of down to their third, fourth string quarterback and nothing else really to speak of on that offense. Um, I thought maybe there was a chance for that to happen with prior against a, a shaky Jets defense, but it was instead it was pretty much everybody else. Robert Foster. I mean, just everybody, but Terrell prior. Um, I think he was like, Oh, of, Oh, of two or Oh, of three targets. So. Uh, that was uh, not good. Yeah, Robert Foster coming out of absolutely nowhere to go for 105 yards on three catches. So that's a that's, those are the types of things that happen, I guess. When you Rob, like like word like no lie, no lie. Um, when I was doing my rankings this week, when like I'm trying to figure out the Bills' target shares because you know there's a lot of moving pieces, I literally had to Google uh, whether Robert Foster was still on the active roster and, and saw conflicting reports. Like, <laughs> like, like, like no lie. <laughs> like, and he, he had probably a hundred yards in the first, you know, hour of, of, of today's game. So there's nothing worse than having a fantasy question going like to Google news type in first results from like a week ago and you're like yes it's like could I get something like relevant please it's like yeah it's like Robert Foster will have a great week it will not have a good week seven it's like well, what's going on now like I've been like halfway through an article before and been like oh this is from four weeks ago actually that uh, guy's not hurt anymore oh <laughs> uh, freaking bills all right now it's time to talk about more fancy disappointments, but the biggest fancy disappointment of the weekend. I'm the trash man. Just throw me in the trash. You're garbage, and you know it. Totally unreliable. Is that it? Undependable. That it? That's it. You've been told off. How do you like that? Good. This week's trash man is Kareem Hunt. There are a couple guys we could have picked from this week to be uh, the trash man, but tough to tough to not look at Kareem. owned in the millionaire maker. That was the highest of anybody. Chiefs didn't really have much of a problem at home against the Cardinals. They were a little, Cardinals were a little more friskier than I think people thought, but ultimately Hunt ended up getting 16 carries, 71 yards, zero touchdowns on the ground, only had two targets, caught them both for another 25 scoreless yards. I mean, 96 yards and no touchdowns, just not really what we were looking for. In this uh, supposed smash spot at home against the Cardinals, we had Spencer Ware find a way how to vulture a touchdown inside the five-yard line after Kareem almost found the way into the end zone. Uh, just pretty disappointing performance. Uh, Chris, any takeaways here? Like, moving forward, are you concerned about Hunt anymore because of this, or is this just kind of an unfortunate uh, occurrence? Yeah, I think it's more so one of those unfortunate occurrences. Um, that's why I, I kind of talk about a lot when – trying to build cash game rosters in DFS is like you have to think about stacking the quarterback and running back in certain spots because there's certain games where running backs just, you know, I mean, 96 yards is pretty good, but 
you know, when a guy's just not going to get a touchdown and the final stat line is going to be ugly, especially when the, uh, when the price is so high. So I think that's what happened. If you look at just targets in general, you know, he was, he was kind of putting up some numbers in the passing game over these last few weeks. And the thing to remember about targets, especially for running backs, their targets per route run, it'll take around 12 games or so to staple stabilize. That's just to like, kind of get to like 50% truth, like ability. So that's kind of not even what we're gone through with the season yet. So, you know, there is going to be some variance coming into the game. He was a 9% uh, target share for the team, even though that was up in the double digits over these past few weeks. So he just kind of regressed to that, that normal me. And last year he was around 12%. So I think you'll kind of see him settle in about 10%, you know, one of every 10 Mahomes throw will end up uh, in, in hunt uh, in hunt's hands. Yeah, just so many options on offense. You know, we, we did see him have five, at least five receptions in week six to eight. Mm-hmm. Only three total catches the uh, last two games. So, I mean, obviously, I think, like you said early on in the year, I was kind of worried about his receiving usage, but he's shown us time and time again that he is capable of this. So it's not like this will just, you know, right. he's going to be a more involved receiver. Moving it's forward. just, it's just the natural variance of it. I mean, if a guy gets, if a guy's, you know, true target share is around, 12%. I mean, he's going to have weeks where it goes as well as like four or 5% where he gets like one or two targets. And he's going to have games where like we we've seen over these past few weeks where he'll catch, you know, five, six balls on, on, uh, you know, over a half dozen targets. So that's just kind of natural. Next time we'll see Kareem hunt next Monday night against the Rams. Ooh, can't wait for that one. All right. And now for the team that's lost the public, the most money this weekend, or as our old friend, Joe Buck might put it. That is a disgusting act. That's right, Joe, the new England Patriots, 77% of public tickets (laughs) were back in the Patriots on minus six and a half. You can view that information on our action network, NFL live odds page. Oh man. Pats were looking good. Riding a six game win streak. Seemed like they finally had their offense together with uh, Edelman and Gordon fully humming. Titans were coming off a victory over the Cowboys on Monday night, but you know, three losses before that. No one thinks all that highly of the Cowboys anyway. Oh my goodness. It was 24, 10 Titans at halftime. Really never even close. We didn't even see Brady put together much of a second uh, half comeback. Derek Henry, Deion Lewis, each had over 50 rushing yards. Henry found the end zone twice. Corey Davis, uh, you know, we give him a lot of crap on this podcast. He balled out. (laughs) He now has three touchdowns in his career against the Patriots and one against everyone else. So good for him. He had 125 yards today. First time the Titans beat Brady since 2002. And this 24-point margin of defeat is tied for Brady's third worst loss ever. Chris, I remember people panicking when the Patriots got smacked by the Chiefs in, uh, in Arrowhead a few years ago. I mean, I feel like people should be panicking over this one Patriots loss, right? Like, what is this? I, I almost feel like it's kind of a calming notion. What, like, what are your thoughts here? I mean, I was laughing because I think it, the Titans seem to, to do this to everybody now, though. It's like any time you think the Titans are anything you think about the Titans, it's the other thing. Like, I remember when they played the Bills and everyone, you know, we all thought that they could handle that and they end up losing by a point. They end up beating the, the world champion Philadelphia Eagles in, in overtime. Corey Davis goes crazy. Uh, you know, now now we have another big Corey Davis game, even though we're kind of thinking that he might have some trouble with uh, Stefan Gilmore, though they have been moving him in the slot more. I think that's where you're really seeing those, those new hires on the coaching staff pay off, you know, Matt LaFleur doing some things to kind of get Corey Davis loose a little more realizing also that he needs to be a little bit more aggressive in his usage of Deion Lewis. And saw Derek Henry contributing too. I mean, those, those are their best players. And 
Um, he's starting to finally figure out a way to use them. Um, and you're also kind of seeing the Corey Davis, you know, we do definitely give him a lot of, a lot of crap on the podcast, but um, the bottom line is we're, we're starting to see the regression where he, he came into this game with a 29% uh, target share and 37% air yard share. And anytime you're a receiver seeing that kind of a, of a piece of the pie, especially when one of the, your starting receivers is out as well, um, it's only a matter of time before that kind of turns around. And we're starting to see that with Corey Davis. So uh, good for him. But um, anytime, you pull, anytime he gets a string of those struggle lines together, I'm still, I'm still going to give him crap for it because he has some – he, he can put together some ugly strings of games. But I also think it's on Mariota, too, getting a little bit better. I mean, Mariota has been another one of those guys who's just really difficult to um, to kind of forecast, I would say, almost, because it's like you don't really know what you're going to get from him. He's got the talent, but then sometimes he just has these extended stretches that seem to go through whole seasons almost at times where it's like he's just bad. And he has other stretches. I remember a couple of years ago, he just had this like crazy stretch where he's rushing for a touchdown in every game, and he just looks like, you know, a top like eight quarterback or, you know, something like that. So Titans are just a tough team to forecast overall. I think uh, one of the harder ones in the NFL. Yeah. It's been nice. I think these last two weeks, especially we've kind of seen Matt LaFleur's new offense, put Mariota in uh, some, you know, more creative situations yeah. than we were used to seeing in that uh, old, old school exotic smash mouth uh, offense. He was running the last few years, but yeah, good things from that offense lately. I'm looking forward to seeing if Corey Davis can keep this going now that he's actually got a little bit of a breather in these uh, wide receiver cornerback matchups. He had that Eagles game where he blew up. After that, he faced Tredavious White, the Ravens, Casey Hayward, Iron Jones, and then Stephon Gilmore today, who he got advantage of. Next up, Indianapolis Colts, Houston Texans, and New York Jets. So mm, it sounds like it, yeah. Hey, Corey, you got the volume. Let's see if he can keep it going. So. <laughs> I mean, and that's it's crazy, too, because you got to think that, like, the floor is probably thinking the same thing like we are. Like, even though he's not playing fantasy, he's probably like, oh, my God, matchup after matchup after matchup. <laughs> that's why you're starting to see him move around a lot more. So good for them. Absolutely. All right. Now we're going to take a quick review of the winning millionaire maker lineup from Bear Down 24-7. Becoming a DFS millionaire? Talk about a dream come true. What DraftKings lineup lived a daily fantasy fantasy this weekend? Uh, this is probably the coolest uh, winning lineup we've had this year. Some Bears fan just had an absolutely incredible Sunday. This guy went ahead and stacked Mitch Trubisky, Tariq Cohen, Allen Robinson, Trey Burton, and the Bears D special teams. I'm sure he had money on the line as well. And I mean, this guy just won everything. 248. Point two total DraftKings points and a million dollars. Rest of the lineup, Nick Chubb was his uh, RB2 alongside Tariq Cohen, outside Aaron Jones in the flex, along with Allen Robinson at wide receiver. He had Tyreek Hill and Julio Jones. And believe it or not, did not have any Lions players. So it was just the Bears, no game stack. Chris, thoughts on Bear Down 24-7's winning lineup? Oh, man, I think the Bears were a team that when you looked at the slate, and I wrote about this in the uh, main slate breakdown on fantasywebs.com, like, where are these monster games coming from? If they're not going to come from a guy who's going to be chalky like like Goff or a Breeze or a Matt Ryan, like, Mitchell Trubisky has been the source of a lot of these just blow-up games. Like, he's had some, he had a stretch where he, was, he scored, I believe, it was 30 or more DraftKings points for three straight weeks. Um, and that was only a, a few weeks ago. And, you know, now he's going to face a defense that, you know, bottom five and bottom five, bottom six in DVOA. And, you know, no one's really talking about him. I think there were, you know, 
some some win concerns of this game. I would if I you know I, I would bet the under on this game actually. Um, so I, I do get why they were so low owned, but that's the whole point. When you see an offense with this kind of upside going against the defense that's this low owned, that's a, that's the type of players um, that you want to target in tournaments. And so you know I talked about Allen Robinson, Tariq Cohen, uh, Taylor Gabriel as well, who didn't do anything, but. Um, you know, I think you hit on a couple of those guys, those bears and stack with Trubisky, who's running. I think his rushing upside just gives him a it's a, a whole nother dimension. You really need that on both sites, I would say, but especially DraftKings because um, just the way the scoring is and the, how cheap some of the quarterbacks are. When you get those that six point rushing touchdown, it really kind of differentiates the, your quarterback in that spot. So Trubisky ended up with 39 DraftKings points, which is monstrous. Um, and, and this is just kind of a really well-balanced lineup. I think ownership was uh, a bit flat today outside of those, outside of, uh, you know, Kareem Hunt and some of those guys that kind of flattened out. So you got Tyreek Hill at 10.8%, which is pretty, pretty solid. Julio at 12.1. Like no one really jumping out is, is overly chalking. And, and outside of Robinson, no one else is like super low owned either. It's just kind of one of those, one of those lineups of uh, solid balanced mid-tier plays. That's another thing to talk about in the breakdowns all the time is, in tournaments, especially on the large slates, you know, building a balanced lineup is just really the way you want to go um, first and foremost, because it gives you a lot of natural differentiation. Like a lot of times the chalkiest plays are going to be the most expensive studs or, you know, the, you know, a stud that's pretty expensive and, and, and somebody on the other end, that's pretty cheap. And when you kind of just build a, a balanced all around lineup and, you can really um, get some natural differentiation. So you see this lineup, everyone's kind of in the, in the low teens or the uh, high single digits and uh, ended up winning a million dollars. Good points all around. Yeah. One thing you touched on there with Trubisky and some of those big games, we've had a uh, four quarterbacks this year, have at least four games with a uh, 30 plus DraftKings points. Mahomes has five, Matt Ryan has five and Trubisky and breeze are coming in at four. So mm-hmm. bunch of big splash weeks, really other than Cam Newton, like Trubisky has been the number, uh, you know, behind Cam Newton. He's the number two Russian quarterback. Would you say like his floor kind of moving forward as like a fantasy quarterback is basically Blake Bortles? I mean, I'm not ready to say he's going to be this great real life quarterback yet, but at the very least you're getting a guy that's proven capable of racking up passing touchdowns and he's running every game. Yeah, man, I think he probably protects the ball a little better than, uh, than Blake Bortles. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's so tough to kind of, talk about a guy like his score because we've only seen him now for uh, about you know half a season in a new offense and he you know this matchup was a matchup that you would target it's just I guess maybe the wind concerns combined with you know some of the other games on the slate and some of the other spots that I guess people just didn't really think about this game and also I think that with Allen Robinson coming back it kind of maybe clouded the where the targets would go a little bit so maybe that's why people stayed away but if you kind of look at the Bears targets here they are a very concentrated offense like even with Robinson back I mean there's all those guys kind of like the top five guys combined for about 80 percent or a little more than that of the targets um, and no one else is really taking that many outside of the you know the five main guys that are going to line up on the field for most of the snaps so highly concentrated offense that's always fantasy fun friendly especially when you're going against a uh, an all-around bad defense uh, like the Detroit Lions, who, by the way, had Darius Slate out as well, which is probably, I would say, their best defensive player at this point. So Definitely. Um, and, good. You know, yeah. Yeah, one of the only corners that really travels into the slot with some consistency as well. So really would have had a chance, you know, of completely erasing Robinson. One last point here. You mentioned Trubisky's only had about a half season in this new offense. So the Bears, 
2015 and 2017 had three games with 28 <laughs> or more points under John Fox. They've gone over that in five of their last six games with Matt Nagy. So high scoring Bears offense and uh, no longer that anemic group we got used to watching under Johnny. So good stuff moving on in Chicago. All right, now we go ahead and look at some of the week's uh, key injuries and then go on some workload stuff. Keep your head on a swivel for the injury report. Big one from the afternoon slate, Cooper Cup. Mm. Uh, reports are saying that, you know, the fear is it's a torn ACL. MRI will be done tomorrow, but, you know, just non-contact injury. Head coach Sean McVay came out and said it does not, he does not think it looks good. So we did see this Rams offense in week seven and eight without Cup. He had this other knee injury. Woods had 14 targets. Cooks had 13. Josh Reynolds had six. They did keep this three wide receiver set on the field all the time. So we didn't see too much uh, two tight end stuff coming in without Cup. Uh, mentioned before, next matchup, this Monday night shootout against the Chiefs. Uh, what are your thoughts on this Rams passing offense moving forward potentially without Cup? Well, for fantasy, it's good news in the, in, in the sense of being able to forecast who's going to you know, get what slice of the pie. I mean, this was a highly concentrated offense coming in you know, to this Week 10 game where you had Robert Woods at 25% of the targets, Brandon Cooks at 24% in, when he's active, and then Cup at 20% when he's active. So you know, those top three guys were getting about 70% of the overall team targets. Todd Gurley there at, at 17%. So right there, you pretty much know, know exactly where the targets are going to go. Um, I think without Cup, you, you'll see... Woods's share bump up maybe at one or two ticks. It's hard to go much higher or sustain, you know, much higher than 25 over extended period. Cook, same thing, because even though he is the lower percentage route runner, Sean McVay, I, especially given this, um, I think he'll do some things to get Cooks some more higher percentage routes. And um, one thing I think is really cool uh, about Sean McVay that he's, he's kind of helping us out in fantasy as well. I haven't seen anyone really talking about this yet, but um, I'm sure somebody's been talking about this, but like he's given these, these, these receivers rushing attempts, and that's like really helping their, their floor and ceiling. Like every week you look up and Robert Woods, Brandon cooks has like a couple of carries. And today Brandon cooks ends up catching uh, 10 balls for a hundred yards, but does not score through the air yet. He gets in on the ground on a rushing attempt. And so, that's kind of something that I wonder if this is like another way Sean McVay has kind of found to uh, exploit the NFL. Cause I'm not, I don't know this offhand, but I would guess that wide receiver carries have a, a higher yard per carry average than running back carries do. I would think you're right there on that. And yeah, it's interesting. Cause I think last year they basically had Tavon Austin as their kind of sub package guy to run those fly sweeps for him and do that motion thing. And this year they basically just felt comfortable using either cup woods or cooks in that same role. And, you know, having all those guys that can do it just makes them that much more dangerous. After six weeks, I kind of had the same question in my mind because I had seen a lot more wide receivers getting handoffs. So uh, this isn't fully up to date, but after six weeks of 2018, there were 128 rush attempts by a wide receiver. In 2017, that was only 95. So, you know. so folks, like you got to like this speaks to the, look at the preparation of this man because like we we did not <laughs> this that I just kind of took that off the top. Like I didn't uh, I didn't tell Ian I didn't put this in an outline or anything. I didn't <laughs> tell him that I was going to talk about wide receiver rushing attempts. It just kind of came up. Um, I just thought about it, but with the stat, like, that was impressive, man. That was that was. Woo. Woo. Hey, man. It's uh, interesting thoughts, and we're just, you know, a couple weeks off, but we got the same ideas flowing through. And, and what's crazy is I bet you, like, the, those Rams receivers are accounting for a, a big chunk of that because 
So coming into this week, Robert Woods had 10 carries for 94 yards. That's 9.4 per carry. Brandon Cooks, 5 for 32. That's 6.4 per carry. And Cooper Cup, 4 for 25. That's 6.3 per carry. So, like, Sean McVay, man. Shout, shout out to Sean McVay. Shout out Sean McVay. And meanwhile, New England, we got Cordero Patterson finally playing his rightful position in the backfield. It's just a it's a great time to be alive. What's for, next? Uh, I mean, Tavon Austin? Tavon Austin going to come back and, like, actually the Cowboys going to use him as a running back? Like, what? It's, it, I mean, we've seen a Pierre Garcon touchdown, Corey Davis <laughs> touchdown, and two straight Julio Jones touchdowns. So, I mean, this is, this is it's, it's a time for all these things to kind of correct themselves. Hopefully Tavon can get healthy soon and uh, <laughs> fulfill that for us. All right, next uh, injury. Julian Edelman suffered a knee injury. Didn't seem like a non-con, like he wasn't card in the locker room or anything. So don't know the severity, but tentatively hoping it's not too bad. Anyway, we'll know more on that later. Patriots have a week 11 bye, so this isn't, we don't need to worry about this too much for the time being. But moving forward, we, you know, Chris Hogan, we saw him kind of work as more of that slot guy in weeks one before. Only really had an extra half target per game, though, during that stretch. Obviously, could get filled or set on the field a little more. But there's no Julian Edelman in this offense. Uh, what are your thoughts on the targets? And two, what are your thoughts on this Patriots offense as a whole? Like, do you think they have kind of the same ceiling with without Edelman and a banged-up Gronk? I mean, well, first of all, you know, the ceiling changes anytime you, Gronk isn't out there. So that's that kind of knocks the ceiling down regardless. I mean, the splits are pretty drastic in terms of Tom Brady's numbers with and without Gronk. So it always is like a level down. Edelman is a little bit different in terms of uh, he probably affects, I'd say the floor almost more than the ceiling of that offense, because he's just so reliable and um, on third down and whatnot. And uh, especially when you don't have a guy like Danny Amendola kind of waiting in the wings to replace him if he is going to miss a game or two, that could be problematic. And then if you compound that with Gronk being out, it's a, it is a whole different offense. I think what the Patriots really have to do and what what's going to end up working best for them is something we've kind of seen from them in the past, which is being a, a running back-centric offense. They, they tend to have a lot of success like that. I mean, I think we talked about it earlier in the year. They had James White like a couple of carries away from being Todd Gurley in terms of the, in terms of some of the numbers he was putting up, rushing, receiving, the touchdowns every week. Um, and, you know, James White, you know, nothing against him, but, you know, he's not nearly on the level of some of the other backs talent-wise um, that can put up those kind of numbers. But the, the Patriots are just very good at kind of putting their players like that, their running backs, in positions to succeed. We saw it with Deion Lewis last year down the stretch. And so I think they really have to get back to that, to running the football. They have – Sony Michelle, he has a number five success rate among running backs. And what that says is that he's been a very consistent play to play, picking up the yards that they need. And then you have James White and, you know, we already know what he does in the passing game. So I think that's what you're going to see. Chris Hogan just hasn't been able to draw targets to get the separation this year. His targets per snap number is way down. So he's, he's being out, he's been out there a lot um, running routes. And it's just, I think Evan Silva put it best in his matchups column this past week when he said Hogan essentially is just running wind sprints all game, you know, like just, I read that. that was a great line. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, I think that that pretty much sums it up. Uh, I'm looking at their targets per snap data right now. And Chris Hogan way down at 11th on the team, just 6.7% of the time that he, he plays a snap. So not, you know, he, he's just either run blocking or he's not getting targeted. So it's kind of been ugly. For him, I think you could see a little bit of an uptick if both Gronk and Edelman are out, but I would expect to get back to just James White kind of explosion games because if you look at White's targets, he's been targeted 
like a number one receiver pretty much this entire season. He came into this week averaging nine targets per game. He only had one game with less than seven coming in. I believe he, I don't think he got to, I'm not sure if he got to seven today or not. I think he was, I think he had five catches. I'm not sure how many targets he got, but either way, it was one of his, uh, you know, more down receiving weeks of the year. And I think they just need to get back to force feeding him. And that's what you'll probably see with, with Patterson mixing in a little more too. Would definitely make sense of what we've seen from them historically. All right. Another team uh, with a crowded backfield. Most of the time, Miami dolphins, Kenyon Drake, Played for a little bit. He ended up being pretty limited for most of the afternoon. Injured his shoulder. Uh, ended up with 38 scoreless yards on 10 touches. Meanwhile, Frank Gore was able to get 90 rushing yards, added in two receptions. Only saw uh, five snaps from rookie Kalen Ballage. Sorry if I butchered his name, who a lot of people were high on in the preseason. So uh, this is another team. Dolphins have a week 11 bye. But, hey, you know what? They do have the number 10 offensive line, adjusted line yards per rush. We have seen efficiency in this backfield. It's just been a matter of, you know, it's a pretty even split between uh, Drake and Gore. Oh, boy. If Kenyon Drake is gone and we think Gore's the guy, can you get behind this 35-year-old running back in the twilight of his career? Absolutely. I mean, Frank Gore doesn't look 35. I mean, if anything, he's 25. The guy's, the guy's playing great. So, you know, for people that don't get a chance to watch as many of the games, Adrian Peterson has the better numbers, but Frank Gore is really the, the guy that I feel like has looked more most impressive among these kind of older back so you know if Frank Gore is going to be the guy I think you definitely get behind him the, the Dolphins offensive line has in the run game at least it's been it's been decent um you know there's so many injuries that it's kind of hard to tell how exactly it'll you know be able to sustain but I mean today was a, another pretty good showing Gore they were able to do enough for Gore to get loose and uh you know there's nothing there's nothing from watching him that suggests that he's any worse than any other running back that would be getting volume. I mean, so I would definitely uh, pick him up on waivers if he's, you know, for, again, some, for some reason dropped, but this was a trend even before, you know, this injury to Drake coming into last week, Gore got over 80% of the carries. He ended up with over 20 carries in, in a blowout loss. So it's kind of uh, been trending in his direction. Kenyon Drake struggling a bit in, in some pass protection, he, better receiver anyway. So Adam Gates got, just has gone away from him in the run game a lot. So I think Gore, even if Drake was on a team, you know, would still kind of be pushing for these 15, 20 carries a game. So definitely, definitely turning himself into a viable option. Yeah. And we saw this Miami backfield last season, you know, a left and then it was Drake and Damian Williams kind of doing a committee for a while. And then Williams got hurt and we're in week 12, 13 when the season's almost over. And Gase was basically fine with giving Drake this uh, featured workload down the stretch. So we know that's always a possibility in this late season Dolphins fantasy situation. All right. Now a couple key workload numbers from today. First one is Packers backfield. I talked about this a little bit earlier in my best play of the week, but it has been the Aaron Jones show of late. From weeks three to six, Jones was suspended uh, the first two games of the season. But weeks three to six, Jamal Williams playing 31 snaps per game compared to only 25 for Jones. Last three weeks, we've seen Jones get 40 snaps per game, only 22 for Williams. Chris, I mean, Jones, if you've watched these guys play once, you know Jones is the better running back, the better option. Are you convinced Mike McCarthy is finally just letting him run away with this backfield? I think so, because we, this was another thing I remember us discussing earlier in the year, maybe even preseason. Aaron Jones was a guy who Mike McCarthy just didn't trust. It, just, it was simple as that. Or maybe it was Aaron Rodgers that just didn't trust him, but some, somebody uh, higher up that, that has influence in the Packers, um, on the Packers offense, between those two guys, did not trust Jones. First pass protection 
woes earlier in his career. And I think them sending away Ty Montgomery, who was, you know, their kind of do it all number one pass catching back, very versatile guy that they, they did use in the backfield for about, you know, a third of the, of the snaps. They sent him away. I think that really showed that they now do trust in Jones. And, you know, you mentioned it, that the, the talent was always obvious to see. He was the guy always making the explosive plays. Jamal Williams really never was the guy making the explosive plays. I mean, he's a very solid player. He had a couple of good plays today. But, yeah, Aaron Jones is, has that, that kind of upside to give the Packers that running game dimension that they haven't really had since young, not too overly fat Eddie Lacy. Like, the Packers now are all of a sudden, you know, if they can, because they've been running well all year. They just haven't been running with a lot of volume. If they can kind of add a running game to what they're doing, and, you know, they have, you know, Valdez Scantling kind of coming along as a, a younger receiver. They, they have a, a Jimmy Graham, still a better tight end than they've had in a while. Um, you know, Mike Patton, defensive coordinator. Like, this could be a real dangerous team going down the stretch. You know, I wouldn't necessarily want to see the Packers right now uh, when you have a team that can run the ball at a high level and Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. Yeah, they can hurt you in a lot of different ways, especially with the way these uh, some of these young receivers, specifically MVS, are stepping up. And Devontae, I mean, like, let's not forget, like, like, we always, you know, kind of talked about Jordy Nelson and talked him up as this, you know, red zone god. And I mean, really, for it's really Aaron Rodgers, but uh-huh. like Devontae Adams has has, you know, it seems like every week it's just an automatic touchdown. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I can't think of a player from week to week, a pass catcher anyway that has a higher touchdown probability than Devontae Adams. I mean, he's on, you know, like early 2000s Gronk levels right now. I want to say the only guy with more touchdowns than him over the last two and a half years is uh, Antonio Brown, which and, and that, that was with a half season worth of Deshaun Kaiser. I mean, that was impressive last year to really see Adams was the only guy in that offense that yeah. even, when, even when he took away Rodgers, you no, know, Adams was still a number one receiver. Is Jordy Nelson still on the Raiders or like, is he, (laughs) is he hanging up on a, on a, on a, on like a clothespin somewhere drying or is, is he still washed? Like what's, what's going on? Cause I, I I haven't heard from him in a while. (laughs) All right. Next (laughs) situation. I'll look at real quick. Nick Chubb and Duke Johnson. So uh, Chris and I have been talking about this one every week with the Browns since Carlos Hyde got traded last week, new offensive coordinator, Freddie kitchens. We saw a near even uh, snap split. Duke Johnson had nine targets, tied a career high with nine receptions. Everything was great. This week, we saw the Browns surprisingly really have some uh, good Nick Chubb game flow. They got up pretty early on the Falcons. Chubb ended up out-snapping Johnson 42-17. to He's been the lead running back this whole time. Johnson still had four targets compared to three for Chubb. Chubb made several trips to the end zone. Duke made one trip in the end zone, so they both still had uh, plenty of fantasy points. Who doesn't against the Falcons' defense if you're a running back? But what are your thoughts here on this uh, – Brown's backfield going forward. We have a week 11 bye, but uh, they'll certainly be relevant week 12 against the Bengals. Yeah, I think this is, and like, so most backfields in the, or not a good majority of backfields. So yeah, I guess you could say most are kind of these, at least the two headed monster. So I think this is just kind of what you're seeing. I think this is a, a really good situation for Chubb though, because he's getting nearly all of the carries out of the backfield. Like he, I believe it's 42 of 46 carries since kitchens took over and that's just going to give you a, a pretty high floor even in negative game script because he's a he's kind of been, been treated like really the centerpiece of the offense and i think you're starting to see the browns be a little smarter 
in what they do as well since they fired Hugh Jackson and Ty Haley because these running back centric offenses can really work and can really kind of help a quarterback and can really also enable your other pass catchers, your wide receivers and your tight ends to flourish a little more. So we, we kind of saw, you know, guys like Rashard Higgins making plays today. And I don't think that's a coincidence when you, when the defense has to worry about, you know, respect the run. And then it has to also worry about a guy like Duke Johnson coming out of the backfield. And then you had Chubb getting involved in the passing game as well. So, I mean, that could have just been because they're playing the Falcons, which every running back in their mama seems to catch eight balls against the Falcons. But I do think that this could be more than like small sample uh, variance with the Browns in terms of some of the su- success they're having on offense. I think because they have a lot of talent at the skill positions, even with, you know, losing Josh Gordon to the Patriots and whatnot. So I think this is really uh, a team that, you know, going down the stretch could be a very fantasy friendly spot, as you like to say. Yeah, I mean, look, they have wins over the Ravens and Falcons this year. And I think uh, most people would agree those are at the very least two average to above average teams. I think one other thing uh, Evan Silva's mentioned this year was this Browns defense is talented, but they they were on pace to like play the, the single most plays like in a single yeah. season in almost NFL history. I mean, yeah. there's only so much a defense can do when you're on the field all the time. So hopefully they can keep this uh, run game going just, you know, give those guys like Miles Garrett that do have the talent to, you know, give them the ball back, give them their legs back. I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens. All right. Next workload feature mentioned a little bit with your uh, best core play earlier, but David Johnson starting to look a little bit more like the guy, uh, all the fantasy owners fell in love with back in 2016 weeks, one through seven with Mike McCoy, offensive coordinator. We saw Johnson only at 4.3 targets per game, only at 23 receiving yards per game during that stretch. Last two games with Byron Leftwich calling the shots. We've seen that go up to 6.5 targets per game and averaging 63 receiving yards per game. This has come against the 49ers and Chiefs, but I'll tell you what, Chris, I mean, his upcoming schedule really isn't that much harder. What are your uh, expectations for DJ here in the second half of the season? I'm expecting him to be not quite back to 2016 DJ, but some kind of like an average of what he was pre Leftwich and 2016 DJ, if that makes sense. Like, okay, okay. I th- you know, because the, the, the thing about it is this offensive line is still very bad. And uh, I believe Johnson has the worst success rate in the league. And uh, this is something that, you know, we should, we should probably start talking about it. Like when we say, you know, a running back, like averages this amount of you know, yards per carry or a running back averages this success rate. It's really not the running back accounting for all of that by himself. It's really like, a lot of the offensive line and and it's like the running back is averaging this running behind in this situation. Because I think I said before the season, if if any running back that was being drafted in the top five was likely to have a a Todd Gurley 2016 type of season, it was David Johnson. And that was just because the offensive line was, uh, you know, didn't look very good coming into the year either. And it kind of played out that way. So that's the only thing holding him back a little bit. I don't think he's going to be able to always post such gaudy rushing numbers, but Byron Leftwich got hired or promoted rather pretty much because his predecessor didn't use David Johnson enough. So I, this is exactly what I said to Friedman on the Friday pod is that when you get your job and your position that you're in, because your predecessor made a very obvious key mistake, that's easy to, to correct and turn around. Like the odds are that you're going to go ahead and do that. And so I think that you're going to see David Johnson with more targets going forward, even though target rate does fluctuate. So this, it could be a little bit of noise, but we have a clear reason to believe he's in line for an uptick. 
Yeah, man, I think that girly example is perfect. I mean, is there a more clear example like that we have had ever than you can have one of the most talented running backs in the entire league? Everyone realizes that, everyone accepts it. But if you ask him to run into eight-man boxes the entire game with no you know, decent creative scheme, he's not going to be able to do much. So I feel like that's what Johnson was kind of facing in those uh, first seven weeks. And now, yeah, it might not be high-flying 2016 offense again, but – at the very least, maybe we won't be running straight into uh, the teeth of the defense every play. All right, next up, we're going to go over the Monday night football matchup. We got the Giants visiting the 49ers. The Nick Mullins era has the 49ers sitting pretty as three-point home favorites. The over-under is up to 45 points. We'll start on the 49ers. So Raheem Mostert's out for the season, uh, had a nasty broken arm last week. That leaves us with Matt Breda and Alfred Morris. Of course, Kyle Juszczyk is the fullback and playing 64% of snaps this season as a pass-down guy. Uh, how are you approaching this 49ers backfield against the Giants defense that, I'll tell you what, once they got rid of uh, Damon Harrison, I mean, we should be targeting this run D moving forward. Oh, yeah. I think this sets up very well for Matt Breda. I think that the one concern with him is that Kyle Juszczyk is essentially playing the passing downs, and that kind of kill some of the a little bit of the ceiling for Breida just because he's not necessarily like his target share this year for you know I talked about Hunt's is around is around nine percent and kind of last year it was twelve percent Breida's is is only at five percent that kind of shows you that he's not really has not really been involved as much in the passing game and that is a function of use check getting uh some of those downs and 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 blocking or, or catching a short pass that would normally be you know kind of throw away easy stat padding for a running back that's getting Breeze type of volume but I think Breeze is still kind of a, a this week especially a you know a mid-range RB2 play for Monday night definitely viable in DFS although is a little is a little priced up not if you look in our uh, DK showdown models I believe he actually is the has the worst projected plus minus so not the greatest value but does have a ton of upside always has been kind of outperforming what you would expect given his volume and uh, his tape always backs it up. So I, I would have some confidence as a, as a home favorite back against this, this Giants defense, especially with a, a quarterback like Nick Mullins, who the bottom line is, even though he had this you know big coming out party against the Raiders, Kyle Shanahan is not just going to want Mullins out there throwing a the ball like 40, 45 times a game. So I think, I think you're going to see, I mean, he was using, essentially four running backs when, when he could these last few games, when you count use check and then Mostert, Morris and, and Breda. So I think you're going to see Breda with, with a good amount of workload, but I think you're probably going to see Morris factor back in as well, because I think Kyle Shanahan would like to get to like 30, 35 carries in a game if he couldn't kind of, you know, protect Mullins and, uh, and keep his defense off the field. It's hard to believe at one point we looked at this backfield and could just say, Jarek McKinnon. Great. This is going to be fun. <laughs> oh man that seems so long ago man oh man yeah all right let's look at the receivers here Pierre Garçon has already been ruled out with a knee injury he led the team with five targets in Mullins first and only game under center in that game we saw Kittle also George Kittle had four targets Marquise Goodwin had four Richie James the slot receiver had three targets Garçon and uh, Goodwin were the starting receivers in two wide receiver sets Richie James came in as a slot he was only in on 40% of the snaps. We saw uh, Dante Pettis and Kendrick Bourne only see 20% snap shares. Trent Taylor seems like the kind of guy that would uh, potentially replace Garcon on the roster, but he's a slot receiver, so he's not really going to be taking those outside snaps. Seems pretty clear that Goodwin and Kittle are the top two here. Do any of these other guys interest you, or like how are you approaching uh, this pass game? Yeah, I think you got to take a flyer on Kendrick Bourne here. I mean, I think if, if Kendrick Bourne is available in your league, you go pick him up because 
he seems to be the guy that continues to make plays when they put him out there. His snaps fluctuate, uh, but anytime one of the receivers, one of the starters, whether it has been Goodwin or Garcon this year, has missed time. Bourne has seemed to be the guy that's kind of stepped up and, and made a play. Um, he's the guy that when he's in there, he's getting targeted. So he leads the team in targets per snap. And what that means is that even if his snaps played don't look all that impressive, like last week, I think he played 22%, but he caught a touchdown. It's like when he's in there, he's in there to, to run routes and catch the ball for the most part. I think that Bourne, if anyone is going to kind of step up outside of you know Goodwin and Kittle, who you mentioned, I think it's going to be born, especially because again, they're using use check a lot as a, as like a blocker in the passing game. So um, the running back is not necessarily kind of hogging as many targets as it would in some of the other offenses around this league. And that, that does leave a few more targets available for some of the receivers running the routes. So uh, I think Bourne is the guy that that you take the flyer on. Good stuff. We'll keep an eye on Bourne moving forward, switching over the giants, so we know, we know we're getting with the Giants. Odell Beckham Jr., he's on pace for career highs and receptions and yards despite Eli Manning's, uh, you know, at times incompetence. We've seen Saquon Barkley, you know, really have his way. I, I wouldn't say have his way. He's good for a long run of game, and then he'll <laughs> kind of keep the uh, yards for carry up high enough, but he's getting all the checkdowns he can handle. Past them, though, we have Evan Ingram and Sterling Shepard, but obviously their roles aren't quite as uh, ingrained as Barkley and OBJ. What are your thoughts on this uh, pass game offense for Monday night? It's going to be one of those situations where you know where the ball's going, and it's really about who of the, you know, the, the other two guys steps up because you know what we're going to get from Saquon. You know what you're going to get from Odell. Most weeks, even if it's not a blow-up spot, it's usually going to give you a, a decent number of catches. But I think Sterling Shepard has really kind of established himself as that clear number three guy, even with Evan Engram, you know, back healthy again. So even though Engram has put up some numbers too, I think Shepard is probably the higher upside play. He's at uh, 18% target share for the year. He's got 23% market share of the air yards and the Giants really don't target there. You know, they have, I mean, talk about Chris Conley. They, their wide receiver three has been kind of where you go to, where wide receivers go to die. I mean, you have, (laughs) Yeah, uh, was it? It's being it was being manned by uh, Cody Latimer. Russell Shepard too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cody Latimer gave way to Russell Shepard. Gave way to Benny Fowler. I mean, if that is not like, if there are ninety six starting wide receivers in the league, if that's not number ninety four, number ninety five, and number ninety six. <laughs> I mean, if that's not 94, 95, 96, it's number 93 to 95 with Chris Conley as 96. But now, nah, who actually, Jordy Nelson's got to be up there too. But like, <laughs> uh, Corey Davis was, was kind of going in that direction until these last few weeks. Um, but no, nah, um, yeah, so it's, it's like that it's for fantasy purposes um, and DFS purposes, it's, uh, it's ideal. And, you know, the 49ers are a team that usually plays the tight end well when they are healthy on defense, when they have Ruben Foster and when they have Jaqueski Tart, their safety, those guys are, it looks like Foster's not playing and Tart, his status is up in the air as well. So the matchup is solid for Engram as well. But, uh, you know, I think Shepard is still the clear, uh, the clear third guy in this offense. Man, we're going to see those download numbers. See, we lost a subscriber and that subscriber is going to be Jordy Nelson after. That. <laughs> but, uh, Man. Uh, speaking of guys that may or may not be washed, Eli Manning. Oh boy. Maybe shouldn't even be a question here, but I was surprised. I mean, looked at his uh, just stats over the year. 
He's thrown for over 300 yards in three of the last four games. He's averaging 297 pass yards per game, which I think speaks more to the, you know, kind of change in offense around the league than anything uh, Manning's might particularly be doing great. But, hey, you know, he's averaging 7.5 yards per attempt, 68% completion. These are all better numbers than he's had in recent years. And then we go to sacks. He's been sacked the league high 31 times. He took 31 sacks in 15 games last season. So this is the same total he's had uh, in eight games so far. Just hasn't had the time. But, I mean, if you watch the games, obviously it's much more than that. And Eli is hardly, you know, a consequence of his surroundings. He's got plenty of talent, skill positions. What do you make of Eli Manning here? And, I mean, I guess how do you approach him in a daily fantasy point where you know he has all his talent around him and it's, it's hard to be so high on OBJ and Saquon and not behind the quarterback? Right. You know, there's definitely the correlation there. And, you know, it's going back to his yards per attempt. I mean, in 2018 in the NFL, passing yards are cheap. The league average in yards per attempt this season is 7.5. So, Eli, even at that 7.5 number, Eli is not actually – above average. He's just average. And for comparison, last season, it was 7.0. So that tells, like, that's a huge increase. It's usually around 7.0, somewhere in that range um, over these last few years, even with the kind of offensive explosion since, you know, the early part of this uh, decade with the rule changes and, you know, not letting defenders do as much to the receivers near the line of scrimmage. So, uh, you know, we're seeing a whole nother kind of explosion in terms of numbers and that's bringing some of these bottom of the barrel quarterbacks up but uh, you know I think Eli at the end of the day it's he's going to work for a check and he gets to work and he just put in uncomfortable situations that he can't really deal with and so he's just kind of coping the best way he knows how which is when there's somebody open he just gets rid of the ball as fast as he can and when when there's not he just goes down in a heap and takes a sack or or, or goes down before he even gets hit so he doesn't have to take the sack because he's old you know he, he doesn't you know the offensive line is not good at all so it's not like they're not doing him any favors. And I mean, that's really that. It's it's really kind of spooky to watch. I mean, like if, if Odell and Saquon stay together, they're going to definitely be sitting around having conversations one day like, yo, remember when we played with the ghost of Eli Manning? Like how weird, like it's like, how, how do you have two players that good? Like I can't remember the last time a, a team had two players this good on offense and was this bad. Like usually teams like that win a few games they're not supposed to just because of sheer variance, you know, like just guys like me. And I guess the Giants kind of did do that against the Texans. Yeah, they beat the Texans 27-22. They lost the Panthers 31-33. At least had some offense. But other than those two games, they've been 20 points or less in every game this season. Right. So it's like it's racked my memory to think of (laughs) uh, a team with two players at like this good. Like these are legitimate I mean, Saquon already is like establishing himself as a top five back in this league, just with, with the explosive plays. I mean, I, you know, I, I, it reminds me of Pittsburgh, like when Roethlisberger gets hurt and we see Landry Jones come in for a week or two, 50% Roethlisberger can beat Eli though. I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So it's uh, you know, as far as fantasy, I mean, you just kind of keep, you know, it, it makes for a good tournament playing DFS because I think everyone kind of feels the same way, we, you know, that, that you kind of, uh, alluded to about Eli, which is like he's washed and he is washed, but um, it's easy to get passing yards in today's NFL. I mean, we've seen Derek Carr with that. I think he put up a 400 yard game earlier this year. You mentioned Trubisky, who's not exactly, you know, he's not exactly Aaron Rodgers, but he, he's putting up monster games. So the issue with Eli is really that he can't move around. And I think in this day and age, you really need a quarterback that can move around at least a little bit, because if you can just do that and buy a little extra time, 
usually one of the receivers can kind of come open given, especially given the, the rule changes over these last few years. But because Eli can't do that, he's kind of relegated to when there's pressure, essentially the play is over. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it all flows together. I mean, all the sacks aren't on Eli, but they're also not all on the offensive line as well. Pretty tough when you got to protect the guy where, you know, the defensive ends can just continuously pin their ears back and not have to worry about a running threat. All right, we'll move on to Thursday night football real quick. So we got the Packers visiting the Seahawks. Seahawks are uh, three-point favorites, open at two and a half, but they got that extra half-point bump potentially after that. Impressive performance against the Rams today. Uh, Russell Wilson had them down inside the 30 or 40-yard line with a chance to win uh, towards the end. So good stuff there from Pete Carroll and co. 49.5 point over-under. Chris, we've, we've talked a little, little bit about the Packers wide receivers already, but I guess what are your uh, thoughts here on the Seahawks backfield, just kind of the game in general and how you're going to approach this? So it's going to be interesting. We'll see if Chris Carson is ready to go. Maybe they kind of give him this game off too and let him, you know, give him a bunch of time that he would have, I believe it would be like two and a half weeks or so to have rested. So they might end up, you know, not putting him out there for this one, even though he was a game time decision, but um, if he's not out there, I think, you know, we finally saw Rashad Penny kind of come through and break out. And it really speaks to, I think, you know, Mike Solari and the job they've done that, that he's done with the Seahawks offensive line, um, replacing Tom Cable as that offensive line coach. Though I remember, you know, Tom Cable just had them like there was like a meme or a, a gif or something where it was just like all five of the Seahawks missed a cut. Well, it was in the passing game, but all five Seahawks like missed a cut block at the same time on the offensive line. So it's just like five offensive linemen on the floor, like one of those old Madden, um, like Madden 96, when it was just like... Uh, everyone versus Russ. Right, it is like, and it's, uh, it, it was kind of crazy. And like, now it's like been a complete turnaround. The offensive line is playing better all, all around. And you've really seen that in the running game where like last year, it was like no matter who they put in their backfield, they couldn't really get anything going. And this year, no matter who they put in their backfield, they, they're going for a hundred yards. So I think that you got, you have to kind of, have some faith in the Seahawks running game. They have been running the ball. You know, they, they lost their first two games. They were pretty kind of standard pass run ratio. Since then, it has just been ridiculous. I mean, they've, they've run over 200 times. I think coming into this week, they had over 200 runs and they'd only passed the ball 150 something times. And, you know, they, they've had a couple of losses mixed in there. They still run, run the ball at least 30 times in all those losses. Uh, you know, they are committed to the run. And they're doing an excellent job at it. So that's what you're going to see out of them. I think first and foremost is them just try to run the ball. The Packers came into this week, ranked number 26 in run defense DVOA. Talked about how Frank Gore was looking good out there against Green Bay. So Mike Davis, I think if Carson is out, he's he's going to be a really good option. He, he ended up catching a touchdown today. And then Rashad Penny is going to mix in behind him. And, and he was impressive as well. So um, I think you're going to kind of see a two-headed backfield, but both of them are going to be viable because again this is a high high volume running team even in negative game script and they're good at it so they're not getting into like super super negative game script where they're say down like you know 28 to nothing or something like that because they're they've had so much success with the run and then Russell Wilson has been kind of maximizing his efficiency on like low volume you know he's getting multiple touchdowns every single week pretty much so you know the Seahawks are kind of a dangerous team too like this game is going to be a really good game like these these two teams kind of a little bit underwhelming in the win-loss column. But the Seahawks have lost to the Rams twice. The Packers also lost the game to the Rams. So the records don't look good, but these teams are among the better teams in the league, I'd say. Yeah, I feel like both these teams, 
I feel like people believe that they're capable of so much more because of Rodgers and Wilson. And even though they're maybe not achieving that because they have Rodgers and Wilson, they're never out of any game and they're continuing to compete. Big thing I'm kind of looking for throughout this week, and we don't have this information yet, but we'll come in as the week goes on. But this Packers secondary is really banged up, especially after today. Kevin King, one of their starting corners, was already out going into the game. Bashad Breeland, one of their backups, got hurt. Kentrell Bryce, their safety, got hurt. And Yair Alexander, their stud cornerback, also got hurt. So a bunch of problems there going in a Green Bay secondary that has really been a lot better this season. So that's what I'm keeping my eye on there. Chris, any final thoughts here? Yeah, I think uh, the, you know, the Seahawks continue to kind of have those the, the top three wide receivers be uh, Lockett, Baldwin, and, uh, and David Moore. And, and Nick Vanette continues to outsnap, be more involved than, uh, than Ed Dixon. He got the, the red zone target today. I think Ed Dixon got stopped inside the, the 10 as well. So it's kind, of, it's kind of tough with Seattle because they're spreading the ball around. But David Moore kind of still been a guy that's getting a ton of air yards. So I think he's, a, he's, a, he's going to be a good play this, this week in DFS. Yeah, I was surprised uh, to look at the target share in air yards since Baldwin's been back, and it's basically just a three-wide receiver committee there, yet we continuously see David Moore priced, you know, 1000 bucks cheaper than the other two. So always good to remember the uh, splits, you know, when we have everyone healthy and uh, in action. All right, everyone, thank you for listening. We're going to wrap everything up now with a weekly bet. I'm hoping one of these weeks to come to you all with a triumphant, uh, you know, victory dance or speech or something, but... Oh, man. Chris uh, continues to rack up the W's, although last week it was only via the players as I decided to take the under in that Cowboys-Titans game that ended up just going over while Chris took the Cowboys and obviously the Titans uh, one by 14. Chris chose Dak Prescott, who I think had two passing scores, definitely outscored Ezekiel Elliott, who I believe only had four or five touches the entire second half. So wasn't great for me. Wasn't Woo! great for the Cowboys. I'm getting a lot of these player wins with like the underdog player too. Like, didn't I get a win with the, was like Odell or Saquon? Like it was something else that was like not the easiest one, but I think yeah, I'm just getting yeah, lucky with these like second options. <laughs> I'm getting like the chalk pick I want. And then you're just kind of <laughs> pivoting to the smarter move and Hey, you know, it's working out for you. So I, I have no trash to talk. I'm getting my butt handed to me, but that was weeks one through 10 and we're on to week 11 now. So we're looking at a Monday night's matchup giants at 49ers Ooh, highest score on DraftKings in this game. I mean, this is, yeah, I think it was last time with like a giant style. I think I took the, I think I took Odell over Saquon this time. I think I'm going, I'm going with Saquon. I'm going with Saquon. I, I think it's, Odell will end up running, you know, some of his routes on Richard Sherman. The ball just has not been going that direction for a large part of this year. So I'm going to, I'm going to roll with Saquon and just that, that ridiculous uh, target share. Yeah. Pretty good call there. I'm going to, I'm going to take OBJ. Uh, Don't have, there's not enough market share touches on the 49ers side of the ball to uh, feel too good about anything over there. That's interesting because I really thought about taking George Kittle, like, cause it's drafting. So he could easily hit that hundred yard bonus. I mean, he's, you know, he's done it a ton, but I think, I think I got to go with the, with the chalk. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It's tough. Like, like you said though, I mean, so one, one thing on Richard Sherman, yeah, he hasn't traveled. And two, we saw, I think it was, uh, I'm trying to think their last opponent. Rosen, the Cardinals. Yeah. Rosen was kind of the first guy to throw yeah. at Sherman all year. And 
guess what? It really, I mean, he has some success. We all kind of wrote Sherman off coming in this year, coming off two Achilles surgeries and just kind of against these speedier guys. It seemed like he's a guy that could get beat. I mean, he's played well, obviously. He hasn't given up many touchdowns, but I'm wondering if that is because guys have just kind of have that respect factor. It's Richard Sherman. We don't throw at him because he's Richard Sherman not because he's necessarily still this great guy. I think Odell Beckham Jr. is a guy they're going to throw at him regardless, and maybe he can expose that, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, Odell can expose in any matchup. I don't think that's – For uh, sure. Yeah, I don't think that's even the question. Yeah. All right, against the spread, I'm going to go with the uh, 49ers minus three. I'm going to ride the Nick Mullins hype. I have no idea what's going on with this Giants team, and I will take uh, Kyle Shanahan in this matchup. What do you got? I am – I'm going to go with the under here. Uh, you know, you kind of kind of mentioned it. Uh, Eli Manning, the Giants have been under 20 points most of the year. I think who did they play the Falcons and the what was the, they did barely got to the. Uh, you know, I think they, they they didn't even get to. Did they did they hit over in that game? I don't even think they did. Um, I don't think so. I mean, it was like in the low 20s, I believe. Yeah, so like you can't like put up a, a huge huge number against that uh, that Falcons defense. I don't think that they're gonna you know go crazy against this the 49ers team. I, and I think on the other side, you're gonna have. Nick Mullins and I uh, don't think he's going to be under too much, too much duress or anything. I think they're going to actually be able to c- control the ball a little bit. And I don't think Kyle Shanahan is going to want to, again, take too many chances with, with, with a quarterback that's so inexperienced. So uh, all that kind of leads me, especially with the over under kind of popping up a thing. It opened at 44. It's been bet up a, a point. And I know that's because, you know, people have confidence, you know, after everyone saw Nick Mullins and then giants losing players on defense, which is, understandable but i think that 44 is probably the, the right line and that's just, just a little bit of a, a recency bias i'm taking that value on the under all right uh thank you everyone for tuning in this has been your week 10 recap and week 11 look ahead from the action network nfl podcast i mean hard it's chris any last words let's get this money 